0: I'll give you one guess what we're talking about tonight, the gospel. And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus tonight. My prayer is that your heart is open, your mind is ready to receive the word of God. My goal tonight is to stabilize the Christian, if you call yourself that, to stabilize your soul with so many moving parts in the world around us. I also want to contextualize the crisis, the various crises that we are facing. How do you navigate them? And of course, at the end of the message, mobilize the church of Jesus Christ. Stabilize, contextualize, and mobilize. No better verse than to start with big God theology to wrap our hearts around how God is sovereign. It's Psalm 103, verse 19. It says this, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. The Lord has established his sovereignty. The Lord has established his authority. The Lord has established his economy in heaven, a place that transcends earth. The Lord is in complete control as he sits enthroned in heaven. His kingdom, it rules over all. Now, interestingly, if you look out in the world we live in, you would say, I don't really see how God's kingdom is ruling over all. It seems as if man's kingdom is dominating. And I want to correct you politely and let you know that part of God's ruling over all is him giving man over to his own rule. In theology, we call that free will. You have a decision that you can make to either reject or accept truth, the gospel. You can choose to go your own way, or you can choose to go the righteous way. Either or, God gives you over to your own rule to make the right decision, so it'd be wise to give your free will back to God's will. And in the process of you saying, I want God's will, not my will, you will find he leads you in the paths of righteousness. But here's how this sad narrative goes. You look out in human history and you will see how man taking his own will, making his own decisions, dethroning God, going his own way, God gives that man over to his own decisions. God gives that person over to their own rule. You can take one gloss over look in Romans chapter one. You can read it slow and you will see that as God has given us his invisible attributes that manifest in physical creation. You can't escape it. And he also has written in the conscience of man, his law. In other words, we know the difference between right and wrong. So if I choose to suppress my conscience, I have creation that testifies, as we just sang, to the glory of God, the evidence that there is a creator out there. And what he wants us to do is to pull from divine order, which should determine human order. But when we choose to reject divine order, we get disorder. God gives man over to a reprobate mind, a degenerate heart. God gives man over to his own immorality. But he didn't leave us like that. In fact, God has put in place various restraints. And that's why the enemy, the devil, is constantly trying to get you and I to be distracted, to get caught up in all these peripherals. And when you get caught up in all the peripherals, you lose sight of what is eternal. Satan's primary strategy is to get you and I to think independently of God's authority. If he can get you to think your own thoughts or even think the world's thoughts, he can distract you. And if he can distract you, he can divide you. And if he can divide you, he can ultimately debilitate and destroy you. See, this is the narrative and pattern of human history. We edge God out. We push him out. We don't want him to rule over us. He gives us over to our own rule. We come up with all these isms that are separated from truth and the mainstream ism that is currently rearing its ugly head in our land is called progressivism. Progressivism is a political ideology that gets man to think he can flourish apart from God. He can leverage technology, he can leverage government, he can leverage science, and he can flourish ultimately apart from God. That is progressivism. But progressivism, which is progressive thought that is often driven from a degenerate heart, produces nothing but rebellious onslaught. Welcome to the United States of America. But these restraints God has put in place to keep evil in check, it first begins in our conscience. God has put inside of every man and every woman a conscience. And the conscience is supposed to be oriented around God's word. It is in God's word that I not only have my conscience formed, but I have my conscience informed. The conscience that is grounded in truth will know the difference between right and wrong, light and darkness, truth and lies. But what happens is, when I don't allow my life to be placed on the truth of God's word, my conscience slowly but surely becomes deafened, numbed, desensitized. And often, I can no longer recognize that what the culture is propagating is completely antithetical to the gospel. So the conscience breaks down and God says, it's okay. I've put in a second restraint in case the conscience of man and woman breaks down and it's called the family. The family is the second restraint that God has given us to help hold back the floods of darkness and evil. The family is the bedrock of society. And when I say the family, I'm talking about how God has defined the family to be made up of a man and a woman coming under the covenant of holy matrimony, they are now one flesh. And if they choose to have offspring, they come together and they become mother and father. And then in case the children's conscience being suppressed or being ill-informed or misinformed by the world around them. It's mother and father, according to the scripture, who are supposed to train up the child in the way they should go. And when they get older, they will not depart from it. In other words, you orient the conscience of your children around righteousness, around the glory of God, around the grace of God. And yet, still, if conscience is broken down, if the family, which is currently under attack, as I defined it, The man is painted as a doofus. The man is painted on sitcoms and Hollywood pictures as a buffoon. Wife comes home working the nine to five. The man is sitting there drinking a beer on the sofa. The wife says something slick to him. He doesn't hear it. She goes on her way. Everybody laughs at the man. And Hollywood has intentionally painted the man that way because he wants to take out the legs of the family. If he can remove the man from his biblical position, he can divide the household. And that's why God has put in the third restraint. In case the conscience breaks down, in case the family breaks down, which is social order, God has put in place perfectly law and order. That's Romans 13, law and order, which is made up of government and policy and civil order. Are you wondering why that's currently under attack as well? You're wondering why God and his word and truth are currently being removed from the public spaces? Well, wonder no more. It's the enemy's strategy to break down the restraints that God has put in place, and the result is a spirit of lawlessness that has saturated our entire land. Are you discouraged yet? (laughs) Don't be, because the fourth restraint that God has put in place is spiritual order. And it's made up of the church of Jesus Christ. You and I that claim Jesus as our savior, we are the fourth and final restraint that God has put in place to push back darkness, to be the salt of the earth, which delays the decay of the day as long as I'm in my rightful place. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19 says it like this. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, Hey, have you felt as if the enemy lately is coming in like a flood? What's a flood? A flood is the result of a river that has banks or boundaries or restraints. And when that water rises above the surface level, you get a flood. And a flood destroys everything in its path. And the wicked one, when those restraints are completely gone, he is free to cause havoc, to unleash hell, to manipulate, to confuse, to indoctrinate. And what did God leave us with to combat the works of the devil? You and I, here it is. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. This idea behind standard, it's actually a military term. It's a battle standard. When they were going to war, they would have an armor bearer and a flag holder. And the flag holder, he would have a unique symbol or insignia on his flag, his banner. And when they would get into the battlefield, knowing that when both sides went at each other, it was very likely that you could get lost, you can get cut off from your companions, your comrades, you can get disoriented. So the standard, the battle standard was to be placed in a conspicuous place, a high wall, a fortress, that way in the midst of the fray, in the midst of the battle, in case you lost your bearings, all you had to do was find the banner that was lifted up and you would not retreat, you would regroup. It was a rallying point. It was a place where you would come back and be oriented to engage the battle again. And what I'm saying tonight on this lawn is that the church has retreated and we need to regroup and we need to lift up the right standard of truth and we need to rally around the gospel. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says it like this. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, same word. For the Gentile shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. This was a prophecy. This was an actual enigma. They didn't know what that meant until Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene of human history and then in one statement able to connect all these prophecies about lifting up a banner, the spirit of the most high God will lift up a banner against the enemy because it's coming in like a flood. And when Jesus said these words, If I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples, ethnos, ethnicities to me. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all peoples to myself. And then John, he adds commentary. He says, this he said, signifying by which death he would die. It's the cross, church. In case we've been distracted, it's only the cross of Jesus Christ that can draw peoples to himself. It's not these movements and these causes, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. See, what binds Christians together is not social, not political, not racial compatibility, it's spiritual compatibility in Christ. See, when I look out on this lawn, I see a lot of people that look just like me. And I'm not talking about skin color. I'm not talking about skin at all, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about seeing people that are made of the same stuff. We are all sinners. And the common denominator is when I come to that conclusion and I look into the scriptures and I am completely humbled by the fact that my wages of sin deserves death. And yet God interrupted and intercepted the inevitable. And it says he gave me the gift of life, which is in his son, Jesus Christ. So our common denominator, what links us together is the fact that we're all sinners. We don't have the same sin. We've all sinned. And the second thing that links us together is the fact that we choose Jesus as our savior. That's it. In case you've been distracted over the past year and a half, about compatibilities and what links people together in the church of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 says it like this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, right? This idea behind putting on Jesus. You can actually parallel this idea of putting on with what you did this morning when you put on your clothes. Thank you very much, by the way, for doing that today. You put on an external distinction. Some would say an external decoration. It's something that sets you apart, your clothing. And when you put on Christ, what sets you apart is your conduct as citizens of heaven who are planted on earth for such a time as this, I must know what God's plan is for my specific life while I'm here with his breath in my lungs so that when he calls me home, I've left everything on the playing field because I want to draw people to his name, not mine. Christians are supposed to find their identity and their integrity in Christ, not our color, not our class, and not our culture. Galatians chapter 3 continued, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, color. There is neither slave nor free, class. There is neither male nor female, culture. For you are all one in Christ. The standard is Christ. The standard is Christ, and that is why the standard of Christ is in Christ, we stand for all other ideologies, all other philosophies, all other religions are sinking sand. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in the sixth chapter. He said, finally, my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the trickery of the devil. That's the scheming of the devil. That's his cunning, crafty plans and plots. He conspires and he has gotten the church to choose sides over the past year and a half. Choose sides. Choose sides socially. Choose your side politically. Choose your side racially. Are you on the right? Are you on the left? Which side are you gonna choose? Are you for blacks? Are you for whites? Are you black lives matter to which people counter? No, all lives matter to which some counter no blue lives matter. And this minister says, how about we get back to the fact that eternal life matters? How about we get back to biblical truth matters? And we let those two infuse the way we see everything else out in this world. We've got it backwards, church. God has sent me here to re-church his church to understand that if the enemy can get us to choose sides, what was it a couple months ago? Masks or no masks. We've moved right into vaccinations or no vaccinations. Can you not see what the enemy is up to when the church gets caught up in all of that? Instead of lifting up the standard of Christ and lifting up the gospel. If the devil can get you to fear a virus, he can get you to lose sight of Jesus. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that the median age of death from coronavirus is 78 years of age. People don't want to hear that. Coincidentally, the median age of death for all causes in America is also 78 years of age. So apparently, it is very dangerous to be 78. Forgive me if you're 78 here. (laughs) But I don't don't say that to offend. I say that for the church to not retreat, but to regroup. Guys, come back and rally around the cross. God has given us a banner. It says in Psalm 60, verse 4, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. Pause. Consider what was just given to us. To those that fear the Lord, more than they fear man. You know why pulpits compromise the truth? Fear of man. You know why Christians sit on the sideline of life and don't get involved? Fear of man. And we fear man more than God. When we fear the backlash of man more than God, we don't know this book and what it says. We don't know that our times are in his hand. Psalm 31:15. You don't have to fact check that. I'll give you the scriptures. Psalm 90 verse 11 teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom Psalm 139 verse 16 for in your book my days written fashioned before any of them existed Psalm 23 verse 4 yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil Knowing this book here in my hand, knowing truth, having your life grounded on the truth, it doesn't make a difference if people are offended because you are talking about Jesus or lifting up the gospel. I'd rather fear my God than have a fear of man. And here's the reality. The further a society drifts from truth, the more they're going to hate those who represent truth. Why are you surprised and shocked? Paul wrote to Timothy, and said, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will experience opposition when you stand for truth. You will experience a world that hates you. Jesus said that. Hey, they hated me first, he said. They are in opposition against me first, they said. And when you stand for my truth, they're gonna be against you too. Are you willing? I could say this. I'd rather stand alone with Jesus than sit in a very large crowd without him. I'd rather stand for the gospel and be misunderstood and be slandered and be hated and even, yes, and it happens, be defamed. That's what the world's going to do. There was a man, he was walking through a zoo and out of the corner of his eye, he saw a little girl slip through one of the fences, fell down the hill, and she landed right on the edge of the cage and the cage how's the lions? And he saw this happen and he responded as quick as he possibly could. He jumped the fence. And as soon as the lion got to that part where he could reach his paw out and grab this little girl, he took something out of his back pocket. He hit the lion on the head. The lion was stunned. He grabbed the girl. He jumped the fence and he saved her life. People were blown away. They come around him. They're like, that was unbelievable. One guy says, I cannot believe I just witnessed that. You just put your life out there on the line and you saved this little girl? He said, that's remarkable. He goes, yeah, I was just doing what was right. He goes, wow, what did you hit that lion with? He goes, oh, my Bible. I never leave home without it. He said, that's remarkable. You literally stole that lion's lunch and saved that girl. And that's not just any lion. That's not a zoo-raised lion. Did you hear? That is a lion that they have put here from Africa. That is a wild lion. Man, you are lucky, sir. Oh, by the way, I'm a reporter and I would love to cover this story. Can can you put the Bible in the air and act like you're hitting the lion like you did and I'll take a picture? And off he went. The man told his whole family, you won't believe it. Tomorrow morning I'm going to be in the front page of the newspaper. And sure enough, he woke up and right there, smack in the middle of the front page of the news with a picture of him holding up a Bible, it said, radical Christian assaults African immigrant and steals his lunch. <laughs> oh, you, you you thought the news was actually telling you the truth? You thought they were actually spinning it the way it actually was. Some of you here need to shut off MSNBC and pick up the B-I-B-L-E. I will tell you from experience that lifting up the word of God in a place like prison for 55 months, and if you're hearing that for the first time and you're going, did he just say Prison welcome to Calvary Chapel, Delaware County. Come as you are. 55 months in hell on earth, a place that is divided. You have never seen more of a fractured place of factions where birds of a feather, they flock together. And what I experienced when I decided to start a Bible study inviting all types of people, when you open this book up and you lift up the name of Jesus, the person was an atheist or a devil worshiper or a Muslim or a Jew or a gang member, black, white, brown, all around the word of God and what I discovered with I believe with all my heart, which is what God gave me as an experience to share today. He gave me concentrated exposure to the potency of just scripture, no bells, no whistles, no games, no gimmicks, just lifting up the word of God and watching hard hearts break. Literally, a man who was a soldier for the Godfather, a crime family in New York City. He literally was in jail for violent acts and he came to the Bible study. And by God's grace alone, I watched a hard man go from literal violence to benevolence. He literally gave his life to Jesus Christ and all because this book, Alive, Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow. And it knows the intents of the heart and the mind. And lifting this book up, heroin addicts, one hit away from death, lifting the name of Jesus up because Jesus is the only one that can fill the hole in the soul. Jesus Christ and the gospel is the only power that can fill a sin sick soul with hope, life, and light. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just bring people together, as I've said, all types of people. The gospel, it puts people back together. People that are falling apart. You just heard Jen's testimony, how God was pursuing her, and she didn't know it, and God had a perfect plan for her that she can one day, it gave me goosebumps. One day, reading the gospel of John, and just feeling an overwhelming sense of love and completely breaking her knees to give her life to the Lord. That's real. If you have never experienced the love of Christ, so much so that he surrenders you, you are missing out on what God has for you. We get so comfortable in the American church. You want to know why? Because the American church is more focused on Cultural entertainment than biblical admonishment. In this one quote, it summarizes the power of the gospel. Listen to this. This was said by Ezra Taft Benson. He said, The Lord, He works from the inside out, the world works from the outside in. The world would take people out of the slums, Christ, He takes the slums out of people. Who then take themselves out of the slums the world would mold men by changing their environment and i add think military think rehabilitation think prison the attempt to mold men but christ he changes men who then mold their environment the world shapes human behavior psychology psychiatry philosophy but christ he changes human nature he takes a heart of stone and makes our heart his home and he rearranges things and then he becomes king and lord of all and then I enter this spiritual war knowing that though I walk in the flesh, I do not war in the flesh for the weapons of my warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, lies, ideologies that have a grip on our thought process. So we are distracted, and the enemy gets us to think independently from God's authority. And Paul says, you are going to pull down strongholds, cast down arguments, and any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything exalts itself against the knowledge of God in our country, in our land. Everything. And the church is supposed to be the ones that are calling people back to repentance lifting up the gospel, lifting up the only standard that can make a difference or an impact. We all know this to be true. The war we're in, we need to be reminded the war that we are in is not won by ballots, that's political force. The war we're in is not won by bullets, that's physical force. The war we are in can only be won by those who have biblical boldness. Willing to take a stand for truth. Willing to, yes, be canceled by cancel culture. You know what I know about cancel culture? They can cancel people, but they cannot cancel the gospel. See, the word of God, the truth of God has transcended and has transformed from the beginning of time. It transcends time. It never changes. And when it enters into time, it has the power to transform lives. Only the word of God, nothing else. I know that if man had a hand in this, man would be able to destroy it because anything that man makes, man can destroy. And that is why the Bible has stood the test of time all these years, all these ages, all these millennias later, it still remains potent And truthful, the Bible has been attacked by many great people of great authority. They've mustered up all the forces they could possibly command to destroy it. They're political, they're philosophical, they're scientific, they're intellectual, they're physical forces, and yet they failed. And human governments have fallen, human philosophies have failed, and still I stand with the word of God in my hand that is the only power that remains and the only power that flourishes. We need to get back to the book. <laughs> Biblical boldness can only be born by spending time with Jesus. That's it. I came here to say, if you are not spending time with Christ, you will not have the courage to take a stand with your life. It's not going to happen. Jesus said in John eight thirty one and 32, if you abide in my word, that means stay in my word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you spend time continual, that word abide means steady continual, stay at it, stay in it, be constant, be consistent. Stay in my word, make my word priority. Saturate your heart and your mind with my word and you shall know the aletheia and the aletheia shall make you free. That's the word truth. It means matter of fact. It means truth as related to reality. I'm wondering why people can be detached from reality. It's because they're not founded on truth. And when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. Free from what? Free from sinfulness. Free from worldliness. Free from fearfulness. The early church, their DNA was courage. They were unwilling to compromise truth, even if it would cost them their lives. In chapter four of Acts, it tells us, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. They were astonished. And, and, and here's the punchline. They realized they had been with Jesus. They saw these men. They were not cut from the same religious cloth. They didn't go to the same rabbinical schools. They had the same ability to orate and present with eloquence and articulate the Torah and the Old Testament scriptures. And yet, because of their, ready, Boldness, the Greek word means freedom of speech. That's what it means. Freedom to speak your faith. This idea that we've adopted, which is a lie from hell about separation of church and state, that is the way the enemy has completely taken truth and put it outside the common place, which is where life usually exists. And we've sat off on the sidelines as the enemy has an agenda and he's used the political stream to accomplish his wickedness in our land. And we get told as pastors in a pulpit, separation of church and state, pastor. Well, I want to tell you something. There's not a single square inch on planet Earth that God doesn't go, oh, that's mine. I own that territory, and there is no separation between what is secular and sacred, and in those spaces, we need to be about the gospel, because that's the only power that's going to save a soul and revive a land. Teacher was explaining to her class that it is an impossibility for a whale to swallow a human. It cannot happen she said their throats are too skinny a person wouldn't fit down their throat a little girl in the back of the class she raised her hand and she goes um excuse me that's not true jonah was swallowed by a whale the teacher snapped back and said did you hear what i said that is not true that bible of yours is nothing but a fable it's make-believe don't bring that up again little girl shrugged it off undaunted she said that's okay when i get to heaven I'll just ask Jonah myself. And the teacher said, and what if he went to hell? And she said, then you ask him. And there's absolutely no point to me telling you that story. But there is. See, this world you live in is trying to push God out of it. But like that little girl don't you dare let it push God out of you. Don't you dare let this world and the culture silence you. Too many Christians are being sidelined because they are more influenced by the news than the good news. If the word of God is not our only lifeline, then we will be swept away by the deception of every headline. What's a lifeline? astronauts would use a lifeline when they would leave their spacecraft and go out into an atmosphere where if they didn't have the lifeline, they would literally implode or suffocate. Deep sea divers would jump out of a vessel and be attached to a lifeline and it's under the sea at an atmospheric pressure that would crush them, but because of the lifeline, they're able to breathe oxygen. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When you have spiritual oxygen, when you use the book, As your lifeline, you can be in any environment, like prison, like a public workspace, and you will maintain your conviction. You will walk in peace and power under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that is why I am calling the church of Jesus Christ to rally back to the gospel, to lift it high, to live it out. It was July 21st. 1861, the Union soldiers, 35,000 of them, they came to head up against the Confederate soldiers, 20,000 of them. This was known as the first battle of Bull Run. On the history books, you can research it. It actually became known as the Picnic Battle. It got its name because as the first battle, spectators began to show up and watch. And of the spectators... It was made up of politicians who had vested interest in the outcome of the battle, journalists who controlled the optics of the battle. Even in the 1800s, journalists controlling the point of view of what the larger society knew about a subject, topic, or an event. And civilians, those that lived down the street, they showed up with picnic baskets and opera glasses, and they sat off to be entertained. And within moments... After the first fire was shot, after the first body fell, after the first blood splattered, everybody realized this was no picnic. And spiritually speaking, it's exactly what's happening right now in our world. You got politicians who have a vested interest in the outcome, You got journalists who are controlling or driving the optics. And then you got civilians. And I'm saying there should be no Christian that is unwilling to engage the battle at hand. We are fighting against a real enemy. And he is literally indoctrinating our children. And he's destroying lives and marriages, slaughtering babies in the womb by the millions, confusing people's sexuality. And Christians don't want to get involved. Not by prayer, not by fasting, not by engaging. No casual Christians. Because if there are, sadly, casual Christians become casualties. God is calling you back to fight a battle that is raging in the spirit. And the only weapon of our warfare is the gospel. It is truth. It is being willing to come out of our comfort zones. Time is short, church. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Those of you that don't know my testimony, it was on March 7th, 2009, where I made an egregious decision After drinking all night because of a career-ending injury as a professional soccer player to get into my vehicle, thinking I can make it to my next destination, I never got there. I say frequently, that night for me in 2009 has not yet ended. I ended up rear-ending another vehicle, an innocent man named Hort Cap, 55 years of age, a father, a brother, a son, dead at my hands. I woke up to the worst nightmare. Couldn't believe how quickly life can change. You don't sign up for that. You don't wake up and say, today's the day. Those of you that have lost loved ones here, those of you that have family members incarcerated for various reasons, those that are addicted to drugs, those that are homeless down and out, nobody signed up for that. By God's grace alone, navigating tragedy, knowing there was nowhere to turn except for upward, finding a God who never left me, even though I left him, a God who never forsook me, stood before a judge. I was to be sentenced up to 10 years in state prison, January 7th, 2010, 10 months exactly to the day from March 7th before the judge could render down his decision. In fact, that was the entire purpose of the day. Everything else was extra. I would walk into the courtroom, the judge would open a law book, I would be guilty of a crime I committed. There was nothing I could do to get out of it. I was guilty as charged. I was standing in the place of judgment, the rightful place that I belonged, regardless of a lawyer, no matter how much money I put into it, I was guilty and I deserved the consequences. And as I stood there, my victim's son was able to speak his heart. He literally began to yell, do you have any idea the phone call I got about my daddy dying? He looked at me and said, you destroyed my world. I was crumbling. I stared at him to give him undivided attention and respect. His very next words out of his mouth, as this awkward composure came over this young man, he said, but I forgive you, my brother. And he came walking over to me in the courtroom, and he wrapped his arms around me. And him and I embraced right there. And as God is my witness, all that guilt and all that shame that was weighing me down, it literally evaporated. As I stood in the place of judgment, I deserved to be there. A son stood up. A son interrupted the process and gave me what I did not deserve. That is the gospel. For God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we are sinners, jacked up, messed up, broken, fractured, bruised, Christ died for us. Christ gave us his all. Served 55 months in state prison. It was in that place where that... Environment became a seminary. And the Lord was wooing me back to himself. And he said, son, every single answer in life is found in my word. If you spend time in my word and you let my word take over your life, I will use you for my glory, honor, and praise. I will unleash you on a broken world and you tell them about the redemption that only I can accomplish. It's been over 12 years since March 7th, 2009. Every single March 7th, I would wake up as an anniversary in remembrance of a guy that I didn't know who I was responsible for killing, a family who I did not know as I prayed for them on that day every year, nausea in my stomach, March 7th again. Except something was different this year. My wife was pregnant and she was due towards the end of February. So that's when we expected the baby to come. She kept past the due date a week. We enter into the month of March, waiting for her water to break. March 5th, March 6th, early morning, her water breaks. We go to the hospital, should be a fast delivery, it's our second. I watched as the hands on this clock all day long went forward an hour. I couldn't believe my mind as I had tears rolling down my cheeks, as the clock went from 1159 p.m. to 12 a.m., marked on the calendar, March 7th, the very day God ordained for my son Ezekiel to be brought into this world. And I say that to say this, my son's name means God is my strength. And from March 7th, 2009, when I claimed my own strength, did my own thing, to March 7th, 2021, I now know God is my strength and I get to see my baby boy as a reminder of how faithful God is. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. Our God is able to recycle our own evil and bring beauty from ashes. I'm here to tell you God is calling you back to the cross because you know you haven't been there. You know you've been sidelined and sidetracked and distracted and he's calling you back to himself. And he's saying, I want all of you. I don't just want the hurt in your heart. I want all of your heart. So I'm opening up this altar right now that if you feel called to either give your life over to the Lord for the first time, fresh and anew to pick up the banner of the gospel and claim truth over your life and let it wash you clean from the inside out, or maybe you wanna make a line of demarcation in the sand because you know you've been backsliding, you know you've been complacent, you know you haven't given God your all and he's saying, I want you to. Would you do something about it today? Would you come out of your comfort zone? Would you find yourself up here whether you gotta get on your knees on the lawn? and just cry out to God. Why are we ashamed to do that? If you wanna get baptized tonight, somebody's gonna come up here. And when you go into this water and you come up, it is a reflection of new life. No devil can take it from you. Your worst critic, enemy, abuser, can't steal it from you tonight, not tonight. It is gonna be yours to claim. So would you do that? Would you not let peer pressure hold you back? Don't matter how long you've claimed to be a Christian, Maybe tonight's the first time you're actually tasting truth, tasting and seeing that God is good.